Welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold, the sports car market podcast. Market experts and car friends for over 30 years, Keith Martin and Mark Green have come together through their mutual love for collector cars. Keith and Mark will take you on a ride into the collector car market, talking with industry experts, helping you navigate your collector car journey so that you know when to make your own decisions to buy, sell, or hold. Hello, I'm Mark Green from the Cars Yeah! Podcast. And I'm Keith Martin from Sports Car Market Magazine. We want to welcome you to Buy, Sell, Hold, what we like to call is the essence of collecting, and this is show number 12. So, Keith, how are you today? I am ready to roll. I want to run outside and get in an old car and just head towards the coast. That sounds like fun. Well, you'll be happy. I did drive my old car yesterday, my 33-year-old Porsche. I took it for a drive. I got it out. It's sunny here. I didn't eat a burrito in the car. I'm I'm still (laughs) going to have to work on that concept with you and your pizza and your kid in your car. But uh, I'm getting there, Keith. I'm getting there. You're starting to loosen the wires a little bit. So, so, so Mark, when you brought your car home, did you put it back into that hermetically sealed capsule that you have (laughs) in your garage? Uh, I don't have one of those, but I, I do wipe it down. I put the cover on it. I put the battery tender on it. It always goes back the way it is. So, uh, you know, I do take care of my car. But I tell you, I came home with a smile. It was a great fun. It was a beautiful day. Love driving that car. So uh, there you go. You inspired me, my friend. What we're going to do here is we have a guest coming on the show who's somebody very special. He's been in the, the Concord judging arena for a long time. He's actually the chairman of the International Chief Judge Advisory Group. They call IC Jag. And I want to ask you, Keith, your opinion about the value of taking a collector car to a Concours event and how that perceives value to maybe a potential buyer uh, when you're going to sell the car. You've been a judge, a chief judge. You've been MC at so many Concours events. What say you? Well, Mark, I think it all depends on the event and the caliber of the judging. Saying that your car was people's choice at the Kalamazoo Fun Fest isn't the same <laughs> as first in class at Pebble Beach. Yes. I, I think that the higher the caliber of the judging, the more specific, the higher the quality of the judges, then the more a potential buyer for your car will feel like that's this car has been vetted and therefore I can buy it with a little more assurance. Absolutely. Now, you've been chief judge at many events from from very prestigious events, of course. So give our our listeners maybe a little idea of the involvement, what you need to do when you go to a Concord to get a car prepared properly. But more importantly, what you told me in our pre-show chat, it's what they're going to learn through that judging experience that is really adding value. Yeah, you know, I am not a Concord guy. I am a uh, a user. Uh, so I've only entered my cars and concours a couple of times. The, for the people who want to enter them, again, it's, it's really a monumental process at a high level concours because the car is cleaner and neater than, than it ever was when it left the showroom. There's another factor to that, and that's correctness. If you're entering in a, in a concours, you want the correct spark plug wires. You want the correct hose clamps. All these things that might not matter to driving would matter when a judge is looking at your car. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Like if I'm at Amelia, for instance, we're judging and, and somebody has the wrong hose clamps on their car and, and you'd give them points off. And somebody else would say, well, why points off for the wrong hose clamp? And what I would say is, 
if we don't give them points off, we're telling everybody who went to trouble, went to the trouble to put the right hose clamps on their car that they didn't have to bother. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Point well taken. I think it's great. Well, I know when we had uh, Aaron Weiss here on Buy, Sell, Hold a couple of weeks back, I mean, he is a prolific uh, Concours attendee. I mean, he goes to a lot of Concours. He's taken a lot of cars to Concours. So uh, he's a great example of somebody that goes to that very high level with the incredibly special cars he has to make sure everything's accurate. Let me ask you this from your perspective. Is it worth it? to go to a Concorde. Take all the trouble to bring your car to a Concorde. Mark, is it worth it to spend $250 for a bottle of wine when you could get two buck chuck? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so so my, my point is that that's, it's a personal thing. When I had my uh, 996 Turbo, it's 36,000 mile car, the one that Bradley ate pizza in. Uh, <laughs> You're going to keep seeing that, aren't yeah, you? I, know. Oh, <laughs> I can't even nice, talk. <laughs> nice, clean car. The man I sold it to, Michael Pierce. Uh, oh, yeah, I is, know Michael. You know, is is very particular about his cars, and he went through that car and made it cleaner and more beautiful than I ever imagined it could be. The car just shines. Well, that works for him, and he couldn't have the car any other way. If you're a guy who likes to show off the perfection and correctness of your car, and you're willing to put up with being judged, so somebody nitpicking your car that doesn't bother you. Uh, then I think Concours is worth it. But it's a totally personal thing. Right, exactly. Well, today we're going to have fun with a special guest who's coming on the show who's going to talk a little bit about that, but more about the process of buying, selling, and holding cars, a gentleman who's done that many, many times. We'll be back in just a minute to talk with our guest. His name is Ed. But first, a special offer from Keith's team at Sports Car Market. We'll be right back. Mark Green here. I have subscribed to Sports Car Market Magazine for decades. While I've dropped most of my other car magazine subscriptions, Sports Car Market is the one I'll never let go. It's a hold. Getting it monthly in my mailbox brings a huge smile to my face. Sports Car Market Magazine is filled with great articles and market updates on collector car values. It's a virtual treasure trove of value. Even the advertisements are fun to watch. Boy, I've got a deal for you. You're going to get $10 off your print subscription simply by using the code BSH on their website. Go to sportscarmarket.com slash BSH, use the code BSH, and get 10 bucks off your print subscription of Sports Car Market Magazine. That's a deal. That's code BSH at sportscarmarket.com slash BSH. You can get $10 off your print subscription today. So, Mark, who will we be talking with today? We're going to be talking with a friend of both your and mine, Ed Gilbertson here on Buy, Sell, Hold. Ed Gilbertson is the chairman of the International Chief Judge Advisory Group, known as ICJAG. It is also the president of the jury Salon Privé, Concorde Elegance, a role that pulled him out of retirement to handle all the judging at this event that is held at the Blendheim Palace in the UK. Ed has been active in the car hobby for ever, over 45 years. He is the Chief Judge Emeritus for the Pebble Beach Concord Elegance and continues to serve as a senior member of the Pebble Beach Selection Committee. He's also the Chief Judge Emeritus for the Palm Beach Cavalino Classic. That's a marvelous event. And the Ferrari Club of America. In addition, he was Chief Judge for the Legend of the Motorcycle International Concord and multiple shows across the country. 
So, Ed, my friend, how are you doing today? Welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I always enjoy talking to both you and Keith. Well, I'm ready to go when you are. All right. Hello, Ed, and welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. I'm honored to uh, be with you guys. Well, it's going to be fun. Let's start off with this. If you could describe the collector car market today in just one word, what would that word be and why? Well, I think the word I would use uh, would be sliding because I think uh, people sometimes forget that uh, the car market goes up and down just like the housing market and the stock market and uh, lots of other things. The question of supply and demand and uh, taking a look at how the prices are gone, I think uh, except for the star cars at the top of the pyramid, I think things have uh, been in a pretty steady slide now going into the third year. Do you see that continuing, Ed? What do you think will happen in the next three to five years? Well, as I indicated, Keith, it uh, seems to me the the market, uh, except for the cars at the top of the pyramid, have been uh, sliding now for uh, the last two or three years. I think that will continue uh, because we're going through some fundamental changes in the car world. And I tell people if they've got a, quote, collector car, uh, they're thinking about selling, they should get to it. On the other hand, if they're thinking about buying one, wait a while. It's probably going to be less expensive. So that's talking about the market in general. Now let's move on to three cars in particular, three vehicles in your life. One you have purchased, one you have sold, and one that you would never let go of. Let's start with the memorable buy, a car that was very special to you, how you decided to buy it, how you chased it down, and how you finally closed the deal? Well, I tell you, I think uh, for most of us, uh, our first car is pretty special occasion. It certainly was for me. I was already riding motorcycles out in the Midwest since I was 11 years old, and uh, I got a hankering for a car. So I was only 13 years old. I, I found a clapped-out 40 Ford that didn't run cost me $50. I, I was in junior high at the time. I had a paper route and I sold ice cream bars where for every one I sold, I got a penny. And I saved up my money uh, for that $50. My parents let me have it, I think, because they never thought I would get it running. Surprise, I did get it running. And uh, that's where I learned about, uh, you know, how to work on cars and how to uh, uh, work on engines and the like. And of course, it's a good old Ford V8. That's a good uh, engine to learn on. And so, and then I proceeded because this was back in the, well, I'd say it was 1950 when I got that car. And of course, a big hot rod era. And so uh, I got a second paper route and uh, saved up my pennies and uh, proceeded to hot rod that 40 Ford as best I could. There were no aftermarket manufacturers in the day to speak of. There was some uh, speed equipment, uh, dual intakes and things like that available. But for the most part, we went to junkyards. Uh, we went to the dump to scrounge up things that we thought we could use to uh, either customize or hop up our cars. So that was a very special thing to me, that 40 Ford. And of course, uh, it left decades ago. That was the start of it. <laughs> it's a wonderful story. I love the uh, penny for every popsicle sold. Uh, yeah. That certainly dates all of us. 
But I think the um, the ambition you had to to get that first car and raise fifty bucks. Think how many popsicles you have to sell. Come up with fifty dollars and how many papers you got to throw. That's well, incredible. Well, we did, and then of course uh, didn't have any money, and so uh, my gosh, uh, when I would blow a tire, honest to God, truth, I'd head for the dump, and I would look for a couple of tires that somebody had thrown away because they didn't think they were any good anymore, and I would haul those home, and they put them on, they would last a short time, and then I'd look for some more tires. And the same with a battery. When I needed a battery, of course, I wasn't the only one doing this, but uh, there just wasn't, we couldn't afford those things, but we loved the cars. So I would look for an abandoned automobile and uh, see if there was a battery in it and then uh, lug it home and uh, sometimes get a charge out of it. And that would last for a little while. So that's how we kept things (laughs) going back in the 50s. You come a long way, baby, to the lawns at Pebble Beach. That's pretty cool. Well, let's move up up in scale a little bit and talk about a significant vehicle that you have owned, something that you worked really hard to get, a significant car that's worthy of a Concorde lawn somewhere. Kind of walk us through what that is. Uh, but this is a car that you let go. This is a car you finally decided to sell. Tell us about it. How did you decide on that selling price? And looking back, are you sorry you let it go? Well, I've got uh, an interesting story there. It took me a long time, even though Ferraris uh, were much more reasonable back in those days. It was still a lot of money for a lot of us who had to uh, stretch to get one. And uh, at the time, I I had gone on to uh, a little Austin Healey, but the uh, Ferraris cost quite a bit more than that. Finally, after a number of years, gosh, it was... uh, a good 20 years after that start with the uh, clapped out 40 Ford, I managed to get a, a Ferrari Lusso. This is a beautiful car. I've, my life is set. Well, as most of us know, uh, the tempting thing about Ferraris, you, the minute you get one and you say, oh man, this is all I'll ever need. You look, you look each way and you see other Ferraris that are quite different, but just as uh, striking and exciting. So I decided that I would like to uh, get a Spider California, and uh, a lot more reasonable than they are today, I assure you. I looked at a couple. They weren't exactly what I wanted. They weren't quite right, and I heard there was one available down in uh, Coconut Grove, Florida, near Miami, and a fella had uh, gotten a Spider California, which needed restoration. It was all apart in his garage. He hadn't gotten around to put it back together, and he was ready to sell it. And so I decided to go look at it. I flew over from uh, California to Florida, and I walked into his garage, and I said, oh, my gosh. The car was completely apart. The engine was completely apart. I mean, it was just bits and pieces. And... uh, so I got to looking at it, uh, tried to determine whether it was all there. It, it seemed to be all there. But the thing that I noticed, which was quite unusual, and not much was known about the uh, Spider Californias in those days, the, the different sorts and so forth, that it was an alloy car. Well, I hadn't huh. seen it in Spider California. I noticed that it had a quick uh, filler in the center of the trunk. And I thought, hmm, well, this is kind of interesting. Anyway, long story short, he was willing to, of course, cars were quite reasonable. This was back in the 70s. So I decided I would uh, get it. Felt pretty sure most of it was there, which it was. I uh, hired a one-way truck, and I hauled it back 
to California myself. And uh, that was quite an adventure because I called my wife, Sherry, and I said, well, you know, I've looked at this car. It's all apart, but there's something special about it. It's alloy. It's got some special features. I don't know what it's all about, but I'm going to buy it. I'll see you in about a week. Well, <laughs> I rented this truck, took off, and uh, loaded the car up in it in pieces and all of this sort of thing. Anyway, that was a real series of misadventures, which a lot of us have hauling these old cars across the country, and I'll have to uh, write about it someday. But, you know, the truck <laughs> broke down, a trailer that I was uh, hauling another car on for somebody, that broke down, I blew tires, it was just a nightmare. <laughs> well, obviously, you got that car home, you built it, but you let it go. You sold it. And that's what I'm interested in here today is the selling part of that car. Why you let it go? What were the circumstances around that? And again, looking back, are you sorry? And you got to tell us what made that car so special with that center gas filler in the back. I think I know the answer to that. Well, I'll tell you, I, I did get it back to California. And of course, I was uh, really getting deep into Ferraris and doing a fair amount of research. In fact, I was the first one, I believe, to write an article about the so-called uh, factory competition spider California. So it was in an early issue of Cavallino. And I poked around and talked to a lot of people and checked records. And I determined that the factory had a deep built uh, a small number of alloy spider Californias uh, for racing. And I identified that there were likely 10 long wheelbase models that had been built and three short wheelbase. And gosh, that was done, oh, I don't know, the early days of Cavalino, decades ago. And uh, I did enough research because to this day, and we got lots of historians and researchers out there, they've never found any beyond that. And so I quickly determined that 1699, my car was one of the 10 factory competition spiders produced in alloy with uh, quick fillers and lightened frames and all the rest of it, hotted up engine, 10 millimeter cam, so forth. And then further discovered that it had been raced at Sebring in 1960 by George Constantine and Robert Publicker. It had been further raced in uh, Nassau Speed Weeks by Wolfgang von Tripps. It had been raced at a number of other tracks in the East Coast, you know, Lime Rock and the rest of them. So they said, wow, I not only got the Spider California here, but a pretty darn special car. And I got it together. We did a lot of work ourselves back in those days. Anyway, got it all together. Had a lot of fun with it. Didn't have to worry too much about them in those days. They weren't worth the millions they are today. And uh, drove that car all over the place in club events, ran it at the Virginia City Hill Climb, ran it out at Sears Point, and just had a great time with it. And I said, uh, probably going to keep this car. You know, love it. But I'd owned it for quite a number of years. And then that big run-up started in the 80s. I'm sure both of you guys will remember that. And uh, the cars really started accelerating far beyond what... Uh, us old guys had paid for them in uh, in the day, and I was not ready to sell that car. I had a couple other Ferraris I'd managed along the way to get uh, Eugenio Castellotti's Milmilia car, which was a uh, 1950-166 Touring Barquetta, lovely little car with a good race history. So I had two V12 Ferraris with good racing history. And uh, 
I didn't have to sell either one of them, but the offers started coming in. And every darn week, I'm sure Keith remembers this, the frenzy. I mean, I was getting calls on both of those cars. And every time I got a call, both of them were up on another hundred or $200,000. And then it, it started moving up into seven figures. And I said to Sherry, oh, my gosh, I can't believe what's happened here. I said, uh, <laughs> jackpot, <laughs> you know, maybe I ought to let one of these go. Long story short, I, I did sell it, but I wasn't real anxious to. I remember getting a call from a man in Germany who had heard about my car. He wanted to buy it. And I said, well, I'm really not for sale. He says it's a butt. And then he jumped at a, you know, a couple hundred more thousand. And uh, I said, you really going to pay that much for the car? It was right at the top of the market. Some people said when that car sold, somebody rang a bell. It was right at the top of the market at the end of uh, 88. And uh, he said, um, here, I'll pay you this for the car. I said, are you kidding? He said, no, I'm not kidding. I said, I tell you what, I'm going to give you the information on my Wells Fargo bank account. And when the money arrives in the account, you can come and get the car. Well, next morning, Sherry checks our bank account. She says, Ed, Ed, the whole city <laughs> that our account. I said, you're kidding. He did it. And uh, the car sat in our garage for about three weeks. And then Lufthansa arrived and hauled it back to Germany. That car went through a couple ownership changes. Is now in the John Shirley collection, a perfect home for it. But people say, aren't you sorry you sold your uh, Spider California when they see the prices that uh, one will fetch today, even an alloy car? I said, not really, because you have to remember that I sold that car over 30 years ago, and I sold it at the absolute top of the market. It was the highest price that had ever been offered for a Spider California. And I said, if you use a, consider the time value of money and a modest discount factor and move it forward to today's dollars, the car is selling for the same thing today that it sold for over 30 years ago. So, no, I'm not sorry I sold it. Uh, I went on to have other cars, and uh, it's wound up in a very good home. I'm delighted that it wound up with John Shirley. And so that, that's my story on this special Spider California that we had. <laughs> It's a wonderful story, and I'll let our listeners know, John Shirley's going to be a future guest here on Buy, Sell, Hold, so we'll get to, to hear his side of the collecting story. We're going to take a short break and thank our sponsors. Keith's team has another special offer for you, and our sponsor is a little message for you as well. We'll be right back. I've been subscribing to Sports Car Market Magazine for decades, and it shows up like clockwork in my mailbox every month. But what about when I'm on the road? Did you know that digital subscriptions to Sports Car Market are just $2.50 a month when you sign up with the promo code DIGITAL50? That's less than a cup of coffee. You get 50% off regular price just for listening here to Buy, Sell, Hold. Plus, digital subscribers receive instant access to a year's worth of back issues and the exclusive Insider's Guide, including the 2020 Insider's Guide to the beautiful Amelia Island Concourse and all the spring auctions as well. No more boredom while sitting at the airport or on your flight. To get your Sports Car Market digital subscription at this discount, go to sportscarmarket.com slash digital50. Your order will automatically get you the 50% off. What a deal. Go and sign up today at sportscarmarket.com slash digital50. 
All right, we're back. We're going to have Keith ask this next question about most memorable vehicle that you'll never let go. Take it away, Keith. Ed, let's talk about a car that you own that is so special that you can't imagine yourself ever selling it. What would that be? I have an answer there. It's a car that uh, I acquired much later. But uh, I'll just say I don't like to talk of values of cars because I never bought any of my cars for what they, what they might be worth. Uh, so I won't get into the exact figures. But an interesting story about that Fighter California is that I sold it for a hundred times more than I paid for it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nicely done. If we could only all do that with every car we've ever owned. <laughs> well, don't we wish? So that one yeah. really worked out. Well, yeah. a car that I will never sell. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I've talked about uh, developing a very early interest in cars, starting with the old Ford and eventually uh, saved up enough that I was able to get the uh, that Ferrari Lusso, and then later that Spider California. And then I got very active in the club. As you guys know, I was chief judge for the Ferrari Club of America for over 20 years, and I got really uh, enmeshed in Ferraris. But one car that I always wanted was a Shelby 427 Cobra. But I got so deep into Ferraris, I never got around to getting one. And so I guess it's been about a dozen years ago now I sold uh, one of my cars, and as you get car guys know, when you sell a car and you have a space in the garage, pretty soon it's going to be filled. I said to myself, well, what am I going to do now? I mean, I've fortunately had the Ferraris I wanted at a time when they were uh, affordable, reasonable cost, but I never got around to getting my 427 Cobra. About a dozen years ago, I got a CSX uh, 427 Cobra. And I love that car. If I had, uh, I always uh, admired them, loved the way they sound, had wanted one, but had never driven one. And once I got that 427, I thought, oh, holy smokes, man, if I knew how much fun this was going to be, I'd have gotten it before this. So uh, to answer your question uh, before I go on too long, a car that I would never sell. I often get uh, a question, like a lot of us do, who have, uh, have had a number of cars. Say, Ed, you've had a lot of nice cars. If you could only keep one, which one would it be? And I think most people expect me to select one of the Ferraris, but I say without hesitation, the Shelby 427 Cobra. They said, really? I said, yeah, and I'll tell you why. I love motorcycles, hot rods, and sports racing cars, and the 427 is all three of those rolled into one. <laughs> no and kidding. I <laughs> I must tell you, uh, they're not for everybody. Uh, you really got to be careful. You don't want a floor one coming off the line, that's for sure. And uh, it squirrels through every gear, and it's it's great fun. But um, that's the car that I would keep. And do you remember the very first time you drove that car and what it was like to be behind the wheel knowing it was your 427? Oh, I was so excited, Keith. I'd wanted one for such a long time. And, uh, and they are so powerful, and of course, all the weight is in the front end. But I, I took off in that car. Now, I had been warned by a couple of the, the Cobra gurus, whose advice I had sought, uh, said, well, we know you're excited about getting one. We know you like motorcycles, hot rod, but be careful of that car coming off the line. And so I had been forewarned, but uh, my first ride in that car Oh, gosh, I, I took off slowly, and then I started uh, going through the gears, and it squirreled through every gear, and it was all, 
it was it was squirreling around and in that powerful engine this was set up for track use so those big four into one side pipes are pretty much open pipes it's just glorious i i don't have to be going uh, 120 miles down the road in that car like you sometimes do in a ferrari to really have fun with it you can burble along and i just listen to the music of those big open pipes and uh you know that car shakes and rattles and uh in fact I, we name all of our cars and the name of that car is johnny b good <laughs> and we're trying to think of a name for it the first time it sat in the garage here we're having our cocktail trying to think up a name for the car nothing is really hitting and i had a rock and roll station on the background chuck berry comes on playing johnny b good that's it, Johnny B. Good, bad boy <laughs> rock and roll car. Which <laughs> Wonderful story. So let's talk about a car you don't own, something that you think would be the ideal collector car that you could use for everything, that you looked at it, it was beautiful, it had great mechanicals, and you could hardly wait to jump into it. What would that ideal collector car be? Oh, I tell you, Keith, I wish I'd discovered these days back in the days when the Ferraris, the used Ferraris were selling for pretty reasonable prices. And I've certainly since come to appreciate them. I have seat time in them. I've helped put together 6,000 mile international reunion tours for these cars. I love them. I wish I'd discovered them back in the day. The Alpha HCs. Uh huh. The HCs <laughs> are again. just spectacular <laughs> cars. I never realized what great cars they were until uh, I was asked to help organize an Alfa Romeo HC tour. And then I, Sherry and I have helped organize uh, several more as well as for GTOs and Testarossas. We've been very lucky that way to be able to do those things in addition to the Concorde. But I love those HCs. I'm a sports racing guy. I would tend to go after, you know, one of the open uh, HC competition cars. But something like an an Alpha HC twenty nine hundred. Oh my gosh, those are glorious cars. And, and uh, so the, I guess that's one car that I'm not going to have because they're way too expensive now. They're up there in the millions, along with some of the other great Ferraris and Bugattis. But I was astounded the first time I took an HC out. Uh, here's a car that was built uh, back in the twenties and thirties. It's like drive, almost like driving a modern automobile, those 2900s. So, and let me ask you, because you've driven the Cal Spider, you've driven Alpha 8Cs, what's the fundamental difference between being behind the wheel of an 8C or a V12 Ferrari? Wow, that's an interesting question, and, and one I haven't been asked. Of course, I, I love the sounds of both of them. They're both spectacular cars. I would say, you know, Ferraris are great cars. I love them. And I've been fortunate enough to have them. But you really get the thrill of a Ferrari when you get it out on an open road where you can really let it go and really run the revs way up. Then you then you really uh, can see what a Ferrari will do. I would guess the HCs, you don't have to ring them out quite that much to get the thrill of the ride. As far as the technology not a whole lot of difference. You know, those early post-war Ferraris was basically pre-war technology. The Alpha 8Cs, of course, uh, pre-war. You're talking uh, kind of cars we're talking about built in the 30s. You're not a great deal of difference. Or as technology, you get the thrill of the drive with both of them. 
I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested in how you feel, Keith. You've probably driven both. But to me, uh, to get the real thrill of Ferrari, you really have to have it out in, out in the open roads in the middle of nowhere and then really let it go. And you can do that with an Alpha also. But I think you could probably have just as much fun in an Alpha where you don't have it run at full bore. So, so Ed, let's, let's go back to the market for a second. And let's talk about today's market and how you're so involved with judging with ICJ. Do you think the market has any effect on the concour and the entries and kind of the configuration of that world? Oh, I think uh, what we have to keep in mind there, Keith, is the generational shift of interest. You know, and you've talked about that in your magazine. As each new generation comes along, their dream cars are, in most cases, going to be different than the dream cars of the previous generation because we all hearken back to our high school days when we first got interested in cars and we couldn't afford the cars that we really wanted. But we had pictures of them and posters, and we dreamed about them. And so when you finally got to a point in life, you went out and got that dream car. So I think you have the generational shift in interest, which occurs with every generation. But this one's going to be pretty dramatic, I feel, because we're moving into some real fundamental changes in our world. And we're getting into the self-driving cars. We're getting into the all-electrics. We're even with the internal combustion cars. I mean, I don't find the new Ferraris near as exciting to drive as the old V12s and the older 8s because they're so loaded with electronics and computer technology, the cars almost drive you instead of you driving them. Uh, in addition, you can't work on these newer machines, Ferraris or otherwise. You can't even change the darn oil on them. That's going to have an impact on, uh, I think, the collector car world. I think we have to be paying attention to it as far as how it's going to change the concourse scene. I, I, I do head up this international organization, as you fellas know, the International Chief Judge Advisory Group, and we're talking about that because you have to plan ahead. And uh, I could probably talk and brainstorm a fair amount about this subject. We don't have time, but we're going to go through some real changes. I even envision the day when a major concourse will want to bring in some special car from a foreign country. And that's a big effort and a lot of expense and time. I think as rapidly as we're moving into, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, the time will come where if a show wants to have a particular car from halfway around the globe at their show, they will bring it there, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, Put on the gloves, put on the mask, you walk up the car and it's like it's there. You even be able to touch it. I, I <laughs> oh think- my gosh, yeah. You you paint an interesting picture for us, Ed. I'm I'm envisioning the day that the winning cars go over the podium with no drivers in them. Happen, couldn't it? Yeah, I think so. You know, Ed, we could talk with you for hours. It's such a delight, and I really want to thank you for spending some time with us here on this new podcast, Buy Sell Hold. I want to remind the listeners if you'd like to listen to a couple talks I've had with Ed, he's been a guest on my Cars Yeah podcast. You can go back and find those on the Cars Yeah website. Ed, you've taken us like you always do on a very nice ride today, a treasure trove of knowledge. I want to thank you for sharing your insights. One last question for you. If there was one little piece of wisdom or guidance you might offer somebody when it comes to buying, holding, and selling their cars, what would it be? 
Well, I think in all cases, and I've heard other people uh, say this, that uh, don't buy a car for what it might be worth someday. Or don't buy a car because your buddies are buying it or you see that it's a very popular choice. No, our relationship with our cars, our motorcycles is very close personal relationship for those of us that really have the passion. And so any car I've ever bought, I never gave any consideration to what it might be worth. I never considered an investment. I considered it a new member of the family that's coming into my life. And when it came time, and I always kept my cars for quite a long time uh, because I bought them because I wanted them and wanted to drive them. And so if it comes time to sell and uh, the market treats you well, so be it. If it doesn't, you've got the many years and priceless memories with your pal, your car. And so and I would only add one thing that I always said in all of my judges meetings through the years, because people get this idea that if they're showing a car, they can't drive it. I think that's bizarre. And so I always said to my judges, let's remember that cars are meant to be driven. Motorcycles are meant to be ridden. We do not deduct for evidence of use, but you will deduct for over restoration. And that's the kind of uh, thing we try to do to promote proper preservation and correct restoration for these wonderful cars. There you go. Well said. And I know that listeners out there, if you want to learn more about what Ed has done with ICJAG, you can find the website at icjag.org. It's an interesting website. It's really spectacular. You can go there and learn all sorts of things. Ed, you've been great today. I really want to thank you for spending some time with us. Listeners, again, you can find the show notes page for today's show on the Sports Car Market website or the Cars yeah website. Everything is there. Ed, thanks for being so generous today with your time. Your expertise, it's always a pleasure talking with you, my friend. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It's such a pleasure to talk to you guys. And we'll look for a time when we can uh, share a brew and we'll tell some more stories. <laughs> I'd just like to hop, get a ride in your Cobra. Is that possible someday, Ed? Yeah, you hang on for dear life. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, so I'm ready. I'll, be in, yeah. I'll be in line. Hey, thanks, Ed. This has been great. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Take care. Hey, Mark Green here. If you love the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast, you'll want to listen to my Cars Yeah podcast, where over five years, I've interviewed over 1,475 inspiring automotive enthusiasts. You'll have free access to my guest shows five days a week. These are amazing people who share their world around cars, trucks, and motorcycles. I take a deep dive into their businesses, and they share with you how they've wrapped their passion for vehicles into their lives. Plus, go to the CarsYeah.com website and hit the free book button, and I'll email you my free filler-up book. It's an ebook filled with beautiful fuel filler fun, and inspiring quotes from my past guests. Once subscribed, you'll get my weekly blog as well. You can find all the Cars yeah shows on CarsYeah.com or on any mobile device using your podcast app. Just search for Cars yeah Podcast and subscribe today. That way you'll get both Buy, Sell, Hold with Keith and me and the Cars yeah Podcast delivered right to your mobile device or your computer. Thanks for listening. We hope you have shed some light today on the collector car market. You can listen to all the Buy, Sell, Hold podcasts at sportscarmarket.com and carsyeah.com. You'll find hundreds of inspiring automotive enthusiasts on the Cars Yeah website as well. 
Be sure to log into sportscarmarket.com and subscribe to Keith's SCM Weekly Newsletter. You'll find digital issues, insider event guides, and price guides, along with our platinum database, column profiles, classifieds, and many other resources. Join Keith and Mark next week to hear from another automotive industry leader who will help you determine when to buy, sell, or hold. 